What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Comes the Time. I'm Mike. That's Oteil. Oteil, who do we have on today? We have Dave School's bassist from Widespread Panic. Uh, man, he's such an old friend. I knew it was going to be as good of a podcast as it was. Yeah. Um, it's it's so neat to hang with folks that you've been tight with for so long because it's just this kind of like you're just you're consistently like the great friend that they ha- they just go and O'Teal, yeah of course i mean you know and that's just <laughs> always the intro it's just like, yeah O'Teal, it's fucking great but schools is awesome and uh just to tell everybody when we recorded this we recorded this when we didn't know who the hell the president was and you're hearing this a week after so maybe uh if we know who the president is by then can you come back in time and tell us now uh, right now we're all just watching the news. So thanks for listening and thanks for subscribing. You can find us on Patreon at, at uh, patreon.com slash comes a time pod. We're on the Osiris network home to so many phenomenal podcasts and you can find all of them at osirispod.com. Enjoy Dave and uh, stay safe. Talk to you soon. Peace. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Comes a time when the blind man takes your hand. Says, Don't you see? I had to check out, and I, I saw a friend of mine was asking his friends how they were dealing with the stress. And some people were like, uh, I've, uh, I've made five pans of stress brownies. And, and mine was, I've done five loads of laundry, made a quiche, and taken a Xanax. At least one. <laughs> at least one. That's not bad. That's, no, that's... I think I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> the pandemic uh, uh, stress was something to get used to, too. I remember that was kind of, you know, we kind of had to be like, okay, well, the anxiety is actually real this time. So... How do we deal with it? You know, and it was, ah. yeah, that, interesting. It was funny watching the uh, internet overall transition from, oh, this is cool. I get to like bail on work and say no to all the friends and their socializing lifestyles that I can't stand. And, and I'm working on myself and I'm going to learn how to play the trombone. And then all of a sudden it's like pictures of crypts and <laughs> sinks full of dirty dishes and the most like hopeless memes you've ever seen. And uh, now it's just like, you know, it's a ride and it's not over yet. Far and from the, over. the magical thinking involved in people like going out to have Halloween celebrations and raves with thousands of people is, uh, hey folks, you don't get to decide 
this isn't up to you. It's a, it's a fomite. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It, it's so weird too. Even this weekend, I think we saw uh, two Halloween parties in Manhattan that were in like warehouses that had like three or 400 people, no masks got busted up. And it's like, thanks. Thanks everyone for all the hard work. My, Dave, my <laughs> wife works in healthcare. So she's in a hospital every day. And it's like when this thing starts ticking back up and it's, you see that same look when she comes home, like she's just went like eight rounds with Tyson, you know, and uh, she's just exhausted and just blown away at the, the stupidity of people and the selfishness. And that's the part that I think hurts them the most. The I agree. My brother-in-law is a hospital administrator who still works triage in the ER in uh, Fresno. And, and he was on the COVID tent. He was the face of the uh, Facebook campaign from the hospital wow. of like how to deal with COVID if you think you have it. And, and uh, you know, he finally wound up sort of getting it. I'm not sort of, he did get it a couple weeks ago. I was amazed that he lived in that atmosphere um, on the front lines and it took him seven months to get it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not make-believe people riding around with, uh, cameras at the beginning of the thing, filming emergency room entrances and saying, Hey, look, it's, this whole thing's fake. There's no one in the emergency room. Well, that's because they don't want the emergency room filled with COVID. They put the COVID tent and the COVID entrance around back. That's right. You know, it's like, come on, people use your critical thinking skills. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> oh, oh Yeah. <laughs> forgot what country you're in. Oteil had it. Oteil had a uh, early, early bout of it. Yeah, we caught it super early. I feel kind of lucky that we got it out of the way, but only because it was easy for us and we're still alive. Exactly. I mean, I know a couple that was in some of the same places you were at the beginning. And uh, she got it. And he tested negative twice and hasn't had it. And they were together the whole time. It's a, it's a tricky little virus. It is. A couple of friends of mine went down hard. And then their mates did not test. Yeah. Ever. And they were like super close the whole time. It's, it's, a, it's just a genetic crapshoot. That's what I've been saying. You know? It is. I think so. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's such fuel for the conspiracy fire um, because we don't understand this thing and how it mutates, how it spreads, who's more susceptible, what it does inside of body A versus body B. Right. And so uh, all of the like misinformed things that you may have heard at the beginning of it, people are still throwing those logs in their conspiracy fire, yeah. you know, but it's like science gets to say, Hey, we were wrong about this. This mm. is something new and we don't know what's going on. And, um, but certain types of people seem to just feel like, well, well, hell, they were wrong about that. So they must be wrong about everything. <laughs> well, what did it for me was seeing the refrigerated uh, 18-wheeler trucks, you know, that were for the bodies. Yeah. That's right. I mean, what? Uh, <laughs> if they over, if the morgue overflowed, looks like we got a problem on our hands. You know, yeah. That was something, too, that was incredibly uh, – uplifting too though when you saw right around that same time retired nurses that or or nurses who were home on maternity leave started to like weave masks or use whatever time and effort and crafts that they had resources that they had to help their fellow 
you know, nurses from at that time, the Midwest had no cases. They were coming to New York and they were working in the hospital. So you did kind of see the cream rise to the top, which is that part was nice. You know, Uh, I was kind of sitting at home watching, trying to not watch the news, but I had to watch it just because my wife, my wife just turned into the news. Like I was like, I realized that all I need to know is about my town. Like I wish everyone the best, but I can only worry about my grocery store, my this, my that. And but it was funny to see everybody kind of support their own narrative through their own, like, if I do this, then it's okay to do that. And it's just so fucking silly. We're it all is. just living our own identity in our own world. But you did say it. You said it right there, you know, taking care of your area, you know, your bubble, to use the terminology. I mean, my wife likes to sew and she's got garbage bags full of fabric. And we started noticing out here in our little area of Sonoma County, which we call West County. It includes like Bodega Bay and Santa Rosa and, and Sebastopol, where we live, that uh, people were in need of masks, elderly people, people who weren't able to get around. I mean, you couldn't get a, couldn't even get a cheap paper mask on the internet if you tried. Um, so she got down to work and just put it out there on next door that she had a free mask for anyone who needed one. And we spent days and days driving around places we didn't even know existed in our neck of the woods, leaving masks in a Ziploc bag with a note that says, wash these before you wear them in people's mailboxes who wanted them. And I would say she's probably made at least 400 or 500 masks. She gives them to the mailbox place and they sell them and the proceeds go to uh, the living room in Santa Rosa, which is like a at-risk shelter for women and women with children. Um, and That's fantastic. If I ask my wife about it, she'll say, it's me being selfish because I don't want to get sick. And, and that's what all the anti-maskers are uh, they're missing the point of is that this isn't supposed to keep the wearer from getting sick. That's right. This yep. is to keep the person who doesn't know they're sick from getting their immunocompromised loved ones sick. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's the disconnect that, it, it really twists the knife for me. It, 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 it doesn't speak well of uh, the humanness in a lot of people. And I think we're seeing that um, in a rainbow of ways, really. We're seeing, we've been seeing it all year. There's been a lot of external pressures put upon all of us, um, whether it's the virus, whether it's the post-George Floyd racial unrest, uh, whether it's the election. The um, fires. The fires. You, yeah. I mean, you, and, and hurricanes. hurricanes. Hurricanes that have run through two alphabets so <laughs> far that they're so numerous. <laughs> Got one coming right now. Othiel and I were talking the other day about how, like, this year we kind of continuously beat our own world records. You know, right. like, most amount of acreage in, Col- in Colorado this year, the next day it beats itself. The next day it beats that, you know, and then the most amount of hurricanes that touched ground this year i mean just the the amount of of horrible atrocious records that we're breaking and you know we've got a couple of good records now the the most amount of drugs legalized yeah it's been a good week <laughs> <laughs> i suggest my prescription is microdosing the entire country abby hoffman was right amen <laughs> yes put it, put it in the stamp glue oh my god how amazing would that be Oh, wait, we can't use stamps because the post office is totally unreliable. <laughs> Put it on an iPhone screen. There you That's go. Everybody you will be it. touching it. Yeah, you got to do that. That's you a great idea. IPhone. Some virtual app where you can lick 
<laughs> What's on your iPhone screen? <laughs> oh, it's Snozberry. <laughs> yeah, Razzleberry Waterfall, Psychedelic Mushroom Trip. Yeah. Because people have been e-dosing for a long time, you know, listening to like sound waves that are supposed to give you a psychedelic experience or... The negative in- dosing with just watching Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, you know, just corporate brainwash. Yes. Right through the lily light, right? We're macro dosing all that shit right now. And it's terrible. I mean, we're, you know, like I said, I got literally five channels on watching to try to figure. And I, I hate the news, but it's like one of those. I, I don't watch the news all ever, 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 ever. I listen to NPR in the morning to get my neutral whatever. And then I shut I, I Spotify on all day or whatever music is on all day. Right. I'm, I'm never watching. If I watch anything, it's like old Simpsons. That's, but the past couple of days, I've had nothing but this stupid countdown on. It's tough. I mean, really, ever since 9-11 is when it started for me. And I think Fox was calling themselves the no-spin zone. And as a screaming red, white, and blue eagle came zooming across the, the TV, right. and they were sort of starting to become a mouthpiece for the Bush administration. Um, and then, of course, CNN, trying to toe just left of center, pushed themselves farther left. And then you had Keith Overman on MSNBC going way left. And uh, I was a journalism student. And I know that opinion doesn't belong on something that calls itself news. It it, it, it's entertainment. And that's how Rush Limbaugh has always defended himself. Glenn Beck. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. entertainment. Um, well, then why do you have the word news behind it? But I've been watching this schism form for a long time, and I know the power of the media. And uh, so I go for, like, the extremes. You know, you say you start with NPR for balanced. Just... I will go to, like, Breitbart or Drudge, and then I'll go to CNN. And then I'll go there's – a, there's a – it's called All Sides – com, I think, but it's like mm-hmm. a, a, a media website, newspaper sort of weighing um, website, and they'll tell you who leans left, who leans right, who seems to be the mostly unbiased source for news out there. And I've been, been leaning on that, but I know the truth lies somewhere in between the two extremes. Yeah. I just don't <laughs> see why in the year 2020, uh, we should have to like sort through so much weird crap i mean like alex jones i don't want to be yelled at it's like my dad yelling at me but he's crazy (laughs) i don't don't need that (laughs) i just always try to look at like you know you always hear like on the top side of it it's like follow the money but on the bottom side of it it's like how are the poor working out that's for me it just separates all the bullshit you know, like, how does this affect the poor? Is it going to help the poor at all? Oh, yeah. Screw the poor. Yeah, they're not going to. The rest of it is just blah, 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 Yeah, it's, it's blah, blah, blah. And you're right. I mean, the first thing a detective would ask himself on the scene of a murder is who benefits from this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so obvious. Um, I guess if there's anything good to come out of this era of Trumpism is that uh, – things are way out in the open, you know, and we're seeing some of the ploys that they use. Um, You know, it's like any poor person in their right mind wouldn't support this guy. 
because they can see what's what's actually being done. Um, but there's always another enemy. You know, it, it's 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 the leftists. It's the libtards. We got to own the libtards. And the poor are like, hey, man, this guy, he talks like us. Mm-hmm. You know, but the thing that's and I try to talk to my wife about this and I'm not sure she agrees with me. Um, but in the era when this ends, whether it's who knows how long from now or later tonight, a lot of people will have thought it was okay to express their racism and ignorance and their hate and their violence. Um, and we know who they are. And I'm not saying that we have to go get them, but uh, wow. We what don't. Have we, yeah, they're going to come for us. We don't have to go get them. Yeah, they're out there. They're gunning for us, but we know who they are. They're not hiding in their little Unabomber shacks, you know, having their meetings. Um, They are way out in the open. I've seen just horrifying videos. I I prefer that. And I've said on this podcast a lot, I prefer their hoods off. Right. You look like where you work. We can look up where you live. You know, yeah, I prefer that. Um, You know, it's been interesting, too, is that you see these talk to my brother who lives in the Midwest. I talked to a friend that lives in Rhode Island, whether it's boats or whether it's trucks on the highway, there seem to be these little mini parades of Trump supporters with their no more bullshit flags. And you see one truck, then another, then 10 bikes, then this, then, and it's, you don't see that on the other side. You don't see, you know, no, you don't. And if the other side were to attempt to shut down the garden state Thruway like the y'all Qaeda did a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there'd be hell to pay. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, from on high, you know, we know that shit rolls downhill and it could be good shit or it can be bad shit, but it rolls downhill. And that guy is, uh, he's, he's tacitly. And in some cases using a bullhorn, not so tacitly saying, get out there, do my work for me. And it's just, you know, we want to take the high road. Democrats want to take the high road, but I liken it to like the steroid era in baseball. If you're the best baseball player there is, if you're Cal Ripken without steroids, but all the other people are taking steroids and they're doing better than you, how can you fight that? I mean, it's a moral problem. I don't want to take steroids and I'm good. This game is my life, but I can't keep up with the rest of these people that are on steroids. It's like, how can we possibly fight this kind of just ignorance, vocal, loud ignorance, violence, um, without resorting to it ourselves? And uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know how many people in this day and age are willing to lay down and martyr themselves to make a point. I think Um, Bernie would have. (laughs) (laughs) They would have killed him. Yeah. They'd have killed him. That's what we say. Yeah. Done it. Yeah, he'd have done it. And I always said, we, I think we needed like a Dick Cheney on the good side, not That's to right. do evil, but to do good intentionally. Like him, I did it. I'd do it again. You can argue about it later. It's done. That's like, right. <laughs> you know? Because well, all's fair in love and war. I mean, this war. Yeah. You know, Noam Chomsky says, and I don't think he made this up, but he he's where I first heard the concept of the winners get to define who the losers are and whether or not they are patriots or terrorists. That's um, right. And that's mm. just the way it works. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, gotta do whatever it takes to win. <laughs> you look at Mount Rushmore, you know, to a black person, those are like terrorists. 
Exactly. <laughs> so. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Richmond. You're from Northern Virginia. Those statues on Monument Avenue, I rode by them my whole life and didn't really understand the gravitas of why they were there. You know, I was indoctrinated into this is your heritage. Mm. Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. Uh, Jefferson Davis is somebody's second, third, fourth cousin everywhere mm. somebody has got him as a cousin including me or at least that's what my family says <laughs> um but it wasn't until those events in charlottesville uh almost four years ago uh where i'm like holy cow people want to take these statues down i mean what's this about and i started really getting an understanding of concepts like redlining and systemic racism and why they were put there and what the daughters of the confederacy were really all about and um, man, talk about an awakening. And then just sort of processing that for three years, talking to friends of mine who still live in Richmond and how they feel about it. And then in the events after the George Floyd death, it's just, it went into overdrive. You know, and it, it puts, it's, it's very Civil War-like in that, like I'm arguing with my mother about it. Totally, dude. Yep. And she's not racist, it's just baked into that generation. Yeah. Uh, it is weird you say that too it's like baked in it's like you kind of almost you hear something and you go oh yeah well they are of a certain age or whatever and you almost kind of go like all right well they'll be dead soon so i mean it, and it sucks because it's there are some people that aren't of that age and you're seeing that side of them and it's like come on like come on right there's a cognitive dissonance in that you know we had a black nanny when i was a kid she worked every day. She was awesome. I loved her. Both my parents loved her. When she finally had to stop working for us, it was like the world was ending. Um, you know, but I feel pretty good that one of my grandparents would have said, she's one of the good ones. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. You know, you, you, you let this woman take care of your kid, cook for your kid, bounce me on her knee. I loved her. I got pictures. So you can see that she loved me and I loved her. But somehow the like abstract concept of a race of people, you know, we don't want to deal with that. But we'll sure as hell hire the good ones. <laughs> it just doesn't, you know, it's, I don't hate it. No one is evil. It's just like this slow evolution away from whatever the attitude was that like legalized global slavery and embraced it and accepted it. Yeah. That's what, and that's what I think it's, uh, it's been good about the pandemic for a bunch of people for whom it is, it seems like ancient history and just something so far removed. And they're, they're caught so by surprise by all this. And it's like, but if you look at it historically, you go, yeah, it's baked into the cake. It's always been there. And, the, you know, like we got to, we got to uh, get out of this narrative, this thinking, you know. Uh, we do, and it's, it's got to be taught. Aspirational. It's like, okay, aspirational is great. We hold these truths, blah, 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 but, you know, come on. The reality is the reality, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the reality is what we're, we're, we're soaking in it, literally right now. And, but it was, it was literally, it was taught, and it was reinforced. You know, sure, somewhere back far, far, far away before biblical times even, some people with different colored skin had a reason to be angry with each other. Don't know what it was, but whatever that little kernel of chaos is, it's gotten us to where we are today. 
but you know science tells us that mixing up the gene pool is good for everything hybrid you know? bigger and it's hybrid not a bigger color skin cane and abel i mean you know i can't well now i can tell the hutus and tootsies apart because my wife lived in rwanda and so I went and visited her, and now I, I had to, but you know, before that, I couldn't tell them apart, but they had the fastest genocide in modern history. Exactly. I mean, and we will divide up on anything. It's just, it's in our nature. It's, there's unity, and then there's conflict. You got to have both. We're just trying to keep one from not outweighing everything, you know? That's right. And that's, that's Taoist principle of balance, mm -hmm. of yin and yang. And and black and white is a part of that. And every different shade of gray that you could argue about in between, um, seeking that balance. Because, I mean, the ultimate expression of harmony could be considered like, you know, some formal uh, hive mind, science fiction-y kind of like, I don't know, by drugs or by frequency manipulation or genetics, eugenics. Everyone is exactly the same, thinking all the same. That's a pretty frightening prospect to me. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what's happening with these filter bubbles when it comes to like information. <clears throat> yep. You know, it's, it's uh, I'm exposed to what that artificial intelligence engine has determined is going to please me the most. Um, yep. But as a music lover and a collector of books and toys and weird things, nothing is, feels like a greater victory to me than picking up a record I never would have been exposed to. Yeah, you know, that yeah. none of my friends would have ever recommended just going, wow, I might trade maybe or an in-store play, you know, walk in, something's playing. Like, what is that? I'm buying it. And yes, I have bought books because of their covers. And I've been both pleased and displeased, but the filter bubble would not allow that. And so we'd all be just like, you know, whatever it is we'd be like some horrible science fiction movie that scares people. They equate socialism with that communism. They don't really understand we already live in uh, reap the benefits of a lot of socialistic programs here in this country already. Yeah. Well, that's what I keep trying to pound home to these people. It's like, look, you say socialism and all this stuff, but all of our allies who are capitalists have all these things. That's right. You don't call them socialists. They're, they're straight up capitalists. That's right. It, it's uh, but it's that like, it's it's the uh, bait and switch, you know. It's it's look at this hand, and I'll be picking your pocket with that other hand. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just it still works. It does it still work. works. It does. I think it works out very nicely for everybody if we win the presidency, but then they don't get the Senate. You know, because then you always have that to blame. Because I, I was thinking, we were talking about the Electoral College on my bike ride this morning, or yesterday. So I looked it up this morning before this morning's bike ride. Turns out, oh yeah, it's all because of slavery. And, you know, like, you, it's in the, the amount of people that they couldn't claim because they were slaves. So. That's right. The population thing was skewed. And they also admitted, hey, you really shouldn't give rural people the right to totally choose what they want on their own because they don't have enough education. That's right. I just read something and I wish I had written it down so I could exactly quote it and give credit where credit is due, but it might've been James Madison. Uh, one of the Federalist paper guys was basically saying the constitution is in place to protect the opulent. Mm. Yeah. 
You know, it's it's when it says by the people, the other you know, people. it's yeah. the ones that wrote the thing because they were able to read and write and own slaves mm -hmm. and uh, keep their wives in the kitchen, having yeah. kids. Uh, it's like if people's capitalize, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's <laughs> the people, not it's not the, all it's the people. Like the royal we. Yes, exactly. The royal we absolves me from all blame. <laughs> That's why education matters, you know, because think about it. When the Dems had a supermajority, one thing they could have got done is get rid of the Electoral College like that. Not like they hadn't been screwed by it before. That's right. I mean, <laughs> how many times have Democrats lost the popular vote and won the electoral vote. I'd like to know that because I never see that stat. It's happened once. I was just listening to somebody going through the, the reverse and I don't re recall them ever mentioning it happened where it favored the Dems. Right, because Dems are universally progressive and evolutionary. Yeah, but they won't get rid of that electoral college when they have the chance. The question is, then maybe someone can like text in or something Although, if there's any production staff still listening, to get rid of the Electoral College or do anything, would that require a constitutional convention is the question I want to know. I've, I've, I'd be interested to know because I figured if you had a supermajority, it could get done. Phone lines are open at 1-800-JAM-VOTE. <laughs> no, that's... We don't that, know. The fact that any of this is still... Okay, uh, we're, we're, we've got people on it, so we'll have an answer soon. Yes, because absolutely. Uh, I remember, I, was it, when was the big flag burning thing such a huge issue? Much younger in our lives than there was actual talk of creating an amendment yep. that says you cannot burn the flag. And I remember a history teacher or some knowledgeable being in my orbit was like, we don't want an administration like this with a house and a Senate like we have right now calling a constitutional convention because that means everything, all the amendments are on the table. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's like letting the kid into the knife drawer. The kid right. needs a can opener, but there's also paring knives and chains, little tiny chainsaws and things in there too. And it's like, ah, what's it going to take to make this thing work yeah. without killing ourselves or, you know, I mean, in 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 my little imaginary fantasy world, you'll see the uh, GOP members who've previously been licking Trump's boots start to jump ship mm -hmm. because maybe he's accomplished his thing. Maybe the only purpose for him was to just be a loud mouth and a magnet for hate and quietly stock and capture the judiciary element of our three branches of government. You know, let him go. We got mm -hmm. we got he got three. Supreme Court appointees in one term. Yeah. That's exactly what I heard uh, one of the people that I follow say. They said, you know, um, the Republicans fear their base, and so they cut deals with them. And the base was like, I don't care. I know you don't believe nothing. Right. Be my fucking judges. You could be That's the right. I don't care. But the Democrats shit on their base and stab them in the back. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like they, rug out from under them, you know. So it's uh, but I think definitely. that's going to change. I think that's going to change because the more uh, as the number of poor people just expands at an unprecedented, continues to expand at an unprecedented rate. Populism is going to rule. Like Fox News 
polled their own people for Medicare for all. 70%. 70%. Right. It's it's kind of hard to deny that (laughs) is a basic right of living in the United States, affordable health care. Right. You know, why should a surviving cancer bankrupt a certain percentage of people? I mean, just can't imagine it. It's even when you show them our allies, it's like, but they can't, it's like, because they've never seen it. It's not possible here. Yeah. It's like with the gun thing. Oh, it's not possible. I'm like, we went to the moon. Don't tell me anything's not possible. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) By the end of COVID, think about how many pre-existing conditions they're going to be then, you know? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's why this thing is so hard to understand. Um, because it's insidious, this virus, and it goes into your body and it finds the chink in your armor and That's it right. exploits it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally, it's like a, a perfect, it's like the great white shark of viruses. You know, That's it's cra- just, yeah. it, it, it doesn't no care. Reason. You yeah. know, it's going to find my type 2 diabetes or my asthma. You know, it's going to find someone else's uh, GI tract problems. Uh, it's, it's insidious. Yeah, it really is. You know, it was it was interesting to watching when they zoom in on these maps and the counties and where the voting is. And it's like you see a lot of the, you know, the similar, all the cities are blue and a lot of the rural area is red. And uh, I'm just, I was thinking about it with, I was talking with you until yesterday about like certain spots in the country where look at Louisiana gets leveled by how many different, uh, the COVID number one, so many right. poor communities there. And also you've got, you know, how many hurricanes hit has any, you know, FEMA or national guard been sent down to help? No, nothing's been sent to help. So, but you see the whole state's red and it's just so confusing. Yeah. It's uh well, isn't there, I can't remember if it's Fahrenheit 451 or 1984 where there's a, explanatory scene with the, the the party member tells the protagonist that betrayal is part of how this system works. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, it seems to be that way in, in these sort of definitely dystopian, I won't use the F word um, because I don't want to call anything into reality anymore than it's already been <laughs> called into reality. But uh, you know, these dystopian um, forms of government rely on betrayal. Um, you know, uh, just, just look at the uh, history of the Nazi party in the early 1930s and the salt of the earth people that they drafted into being sort of their brown shirts. Um, and then in the night of long, night, what is it, long is it night of a thousand knives. Yeah, the, the long, yeah. long night of, I can't remember what it's called, but they just took them all out and replaced them with the SS. You know, that's how it works. And that's why history is important. Hmm. You know, it's like my history teacher told me when we were in like eighth grade, we were being snarky little puppies and was like, what, why do we care about this stuff? This is pointless. And he just said, we have to learn this so we don't get make the same mistakes twice. But yep. we're like that snail crawling up the well. We gain three feet a day and then fall back down two feet a night. But at least that's progress. I'd like to hope there's progress. Yeah. wonder if we're running out of time for that kind of snails pace climate wise i think we are and economically like when that shoe drops dude oh yeah it's gonna be all bets are off dave were you uh you know a view away from the fires were you smelling the smoke were you pretty much like (laughs) i mean what was that like you were in it huh (laughs) uh we've been in it three years running 
the previous two years, I was out of town, which left my wife to fend for herself, which she's a native Californian, the kind that when there's an earthquake, she just sort of sleepwalks to the, the door jam and goes, it's over, goes right back to bed. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm like chewing my nails, sitting up all night. Um, she had to evacuate last year um, wow. for a couple of days, and we were without power for about five or six, seven days. This year, the Wallbridge fire, which was up in a town called Guerneville, about 15 miles north of us, um, smoked the place out, and we were one zone away from uh, evacuation warning, which means we were two zones away from mandatory. So we were packed and ready to go for about five days. And then the more recent one to the east of us, which they called the Glass Fire, was just took out a lot of wineries and, and unfortunately portions of Santa Rosa that the fire three years took out. It's just like, man. Um, and, and yeah, we were here. You all saw the, the pictures of the red sky. <laughs> and there was that meme that it was a picture of uh, Giants. Uh, what is the ballpark the Giants play in now? the baseball team in oh, San Francisco. Uh, yeah. It's a Comcast park. Huh. I, I think so, it might be Com. Uh, insert your corporate name here, park. With the red sky and Stub the uh, cardboard cutouts. For, and it said, is there any picture that exemplifies 2020 more than this? Is the, the San Francisco ball team playing under a red sky in front of cardboard cutouts. But uh, yeah, we had the red sky. I woke up early, it was dark, I had lights on, and then around noon I realized that the lights were still on, and it was just the creepiest, craziest thing. And, and we had some smoke and ash from, from that. But the fire, the glass fire, the more recent one, we weren't getting a bunch of smoke and we weren't getting uh, warnings uh, for evacuations. And, but I woke up one morning and walked out onto the patio and it was crunchy. And uh, I turned on my iPhone light and it was like a combination of ash and these tiny little black cinders. They weren't burning still, thankfully, but they were crunchy. And uh, wow. it's just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, get behind me, Satan, because this is, it's weird. And, and a lot of people that are on that next door app, a lot of more elderly people tend to use it, but it's good for keeping up with what's happening in your neighbor, especially when it comes to, to fires because we're out in the boondocks. Almost all of the uh, heroic fire agencies are volunteers out in our neck of the woods. So if the internet goes out, then you better know what those different sirens mean. You know, you know oh, the one yeah. that calls the volunteer fire guys into their station. Um, you know the one that means evacuate NOW spells now. Um, and that's pretty scary. You don't want to hear that one. And, and luckily we didn't, but, um, a lot of people are leaving, frankly, they're scared. You know, they're, they are a little more elderly, um, a little less prone to take chances with their future. And they've had it. And I don't know what can be done about it other than fire mitigation. You know, I mean, we gotta, you have to be a responsible landowner, but 50% of California wildlands are federal. You got to clean the forest floor, man. Those floors are dirty. That's right. And, and half of them are federal. So send us some federal rakes. It would be not federal. unlike federal no, rakes. No socialist you know, like the, rakes, man. Socialist rakes. Exactly. I want, I, mean, the, feder, I want federal rakes to open for government mule. And, and uh, 
government cheese. cheese. Remember, remember that band? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and federal paper towels. We sent all of those to Puerto Rico. Yes. Nice, nice free throw. But forest management is a, is a big deal. I mean, I, I wish that I had Chuck Lavelle standing here beside me because there isn't another fantastic musician who understands forest management and forestry as a whole. Um, and a, a lot of it is saying the kinds of things that tend to piss off environmentalists because it involves cutting trees down, man. Well, you want to cut them down or you want to burn them, want them to burn down in your house along with it. Yeah. You know, California is starting to realize that the native Americans had pretty good forestry practices that involved controlled burning, knowing yeah. when to burn That's right. and how to burn. When I lived in Colorado, I used to take trips up in the late summer. They would do these controlled burns and I would watch them and it was just the coolest thing. I mean, in right. the East, we really can't, but it's it when it's, they make these debris teepees almost and set them in a night, like, you know, it's like an art and to be able to watch them and it just cleans it out and you watch that, you know, cycle turn again. And it's just amazing. It's funny you say that. You're like, they make debris teepees. I'm like, hmm, I wonder where they learned that from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. It's called a teepee for a yeah. reason. The same well, people that taught us Thanksgiving, right? And brought that's the, right. the corn. Yeah, we'll give you all of our best things, including our women, in exchange for those smallpox infested blankets. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's the difference between an indigenous population who obviously came here from somewhere and one that came here 300, 400 years ago and has had a major impact in the way they interface with the natural environment. Um, time and time again, you know, build the dam. You're going to get a problem somewhere else. Right. Protect these forests. Well, they're going to probably catch on fire at some point. You know, I mean, it's, there's gotta be a balance. And I mean, I think that that's, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an organized religious person, but I think I'm pretty spiritual. And, and O'Teal and I have known each other for a really, really long time. And, and we had a mentor who fostered such discussions, you know, comparing and contrasting organized religion to guys like Tilton that speak in tongues on TV and, and bilk little old ladies out of money for anointed prayer cloths. Um, and people who are truly plugged into something of the universe, of the mysterium, um, the thing that sort of is the, the, the lattice work that holds all of us together. And, you know, we need to interface with what we are, and that is nature. You know, we're of this earth. We're made of things of this earth. And, and this earth is made of things that are of the stars. And we don't know what the heck that is. Elon Musk may beg to differ. And I know quite a few cosmologists and physicists that, you know, they're onto some, some pretty tough information. Um, and most of the time they're atheists, but every now and then one of them's like, all, all of my work has only more clearly delineated the need for something that we could call God, you know? Um, but we need to understand that we're, we're, we're all connected and we got to find some way to, 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 to get rid of this schism between us. I mean, we will find a way to argue about anything, you know, and it used to not be, they're not coming over for dinner. 
because of their belief system. But now it's, we're not having a Thanksgiving dinner because half my family is uh, Trump supporters. The other half are Democrats with a capital R, Democrats. You know, the new terminology really gets me. Hypocristians. Hypocristians. Centrists. Centrists. Evil centrists. 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 amazing. Y'all Qaeda. That's got to be my favorite. (laughs) Lines of pickup trucks. Y'all Qaeda. (laughs) (laughs) Have you, uh, have you taken a look at the social dilemma yet? Have you watched that documentary? Best horror film of the last decade. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Man, I mean, after the summer of, uh, and O'Teal and I talked about this a lot too. We'd have text threads. Three Um, in the morning text. At three in the morning, which is not unusual at all, but it got to be really hard to just, I mean, I try not to take a stand. um, Because I know that most of the people who might follow me on Instagram, the lone social media account I have are, only doing it because they like my band, you know, and, and the band is notoriously apolitical. Um, but there comes times where you have to stand up for what's right, you know, and I never try to point the finger. I just try to say, here's what I believe is right. I, I, you know, I did at one point get pushed over the line and say, if you support this rat bastard fascist, you should just unfollow me right now. Um, hey, that's a controlled burn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you know, a little bit out of control for me, but still. <laughs> it definitely That's uh, a debris TP right there. It, it, yeah, some debris TPs cleared out, uh, let me tell you, but not without leaving some, uh, some messages of hate. And it just got to where I didn't want to, I wouldn't want to be on social media anymore. Um, and then I saw the social dilemma. And I saw people that I know, like Roger McNamee, who's been a very voracious, outspoken critic of the ill effects of social media on society. And then uh, Jaron Lanier, who is another architect of this thing that's like, warning, 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 20 years and it's over. And I I, I got off it. And it's not the first time I got off it. I got off it about a year ago when Neil Casal passed away, because I realized that my feed had turned into an obituary column for someone that we loved. And and that's absolutely natural and healing and helpful. But I was only posting death notices and sad things. And I just, I stepped away for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And it was hard. It's, I mean, I've been hooked on stuff before and Mm. I have to say getting off social media is harder than quitting smoking cigarettes, which, you know, I really haven't, fully done <laughs> but <laughs> i'll take a whack it's a yeah, exactly. with my son right now because i let him and i'll keep it short because i think i've talked about this on another podcast they're running together but I, I let him watch this educational stuff on youtube and then it went left and then he just was all of a sudden like I've known addicted people, whether it was alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever, and he's only five. And so now I'm in this war for my son's mind and it's sold, you know, and uh, it's, it's interesting because it helped me get over him getting really dirty because I just was like, just 
I made him go to the park. He met a friend there and they were literally jumping as high as they could and landing in the mulch and getting it all over him. It's all in his clothes. Then he found a puddle. He got totally wet back in the <laughs> dirt and the mulch. It's everywhere in his hair. And I was like, whatever, as long as you're not on YouTube. That's right. Yeah. Got my kid back. Right. You lose YouTube. And then yeah, I blocked yeah. all the stuff. And so when he watches, I look at what he watches. If there's anything that comes up uncool, I block it. Mm. Now that's sure. good because you have the ability now as a parent to kind of close Pandora's box and, and stuff a little bit of what came out back in there. Yeah. Um, the rest of us, that genie's out of the bottle, man. Mm -hmm. um, but you, but you know we what? have to walk away, but we still have to be around people who are under its influence and and it reminds me of like these jehovah's witnesses neighbors we had that their kids were always so forlorn during birthday yeah. parties and like christmas and things like that and Halloween. and it's like is that what is a possibility if you choose to take your kid off of the the, the social media thing too soon uh I don't know. I mean, being well, a parent's the hardest I, thing in the world. <laughs> I want to direct it because it can be used. Like when I, I took all that stuff off my phone, but I left it on my iPad because I still get my news from outlets that I trust on YouTube. And then I still have to post stuff on Instagram, Twitter. I get some news from, you know, um, so, but I also realize you know, I was using it to study up on guests that we were having, watch interviews with them. And I'm like taking college courses now because there's like really heavy uh, professors whose lectures are just online. That's hours, right. Mm -hmm. Hours and hours. Daniel Sheehan, uh, uh, Greg Carr from Howard University, the head of the Africana stuff. I'm learning more black history now from Greg Carr. I see like three hour Greg Carr project. Yes, please. And then the algorithm will send me more of that. That's you right. Like use it. It's like the force. You have to master the force. Like the force is the force. Okay. AI is AI. You know what? It could be just as good as it is bad. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It's the balance yeah. thing again. I mean, and I agree with you. I'm on the same thing. I learned more in the last four years about civil war, systemic racism, and, and like I said, all of that went into overdrive since June. Um, I learned a lot. And, and I think for me, more than the actual educational bits, that's always great because I love that stuff. I can, I can process it. Um, but people's perspectives, different people's honest perspectives mean a lot to me. Um, and and uh, social media affords me a chance to um, zero in on, on those perspectives perspectives from people I'd never even, I wouldn't know how to find them, you know, but mm -hmm. in a situation like the, the murder of George Floyd and the protests, they come out and they speak loudly and very clearly. And because of the, the limitations of a lot of social media, they, they really condense it down so that it's sort of, a, you know, look up redlining. Okay. I look up redlining and guess what city is like the example that they use. Oh, it's my hometown. Hi there. You know, I mean, <laughs> to me, that, that has a huge impact. And, and I think that sharing other people's perspectives is, it's the best way we can ever hope to evolve. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. 
Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. Well, you know what else, too? It's like you can go back and, like, on YouTube, you can watch Buckley and Baldwin have that talk at Cambridge about, like, the the play what was like the situation of the negro in america right and it's like you go back and you watch this this debate and it's like you know so profound and so riveting and so like this is i never saw that in school i never learned that in history class you know and now at you know 40 watching it after while friends of mine in dc are being pepper sprayed and i can't be there next to them because of a pandemic you know, these things carry some brevity and it's like it finds you and you find it when you need it. I'm noticing quite a bit. You know what I, I mean? I think you're right. And and and, you know, like you said, that you, you never would have seen that in school. Hell I don't know that they're seeing it in school now, but I think education or the lack thereof is it's, you know, it's to blame for a lot of the situations. Turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say ham turkeys? Because that's what I want right now. <laughs> Am turkeys, ham turkeys. But uh, you're right. No, it's it's just um, people keep going. You know, the, the question we see a lot right now as we wait on pins and needles for this election result is, I'm so shocked that so much of America is so so blatantly rig- ignorant and racist, and uh, I think ignorance is is the key term, and it, it's not necessarily an insult. It simply means they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and because they weren't given the chance to learn or the teachers weren't given the incentive to really figure out how to give kids a want to learn, you know. And so you have generations where, okay, you, you just, you know, you got to do well on these standardized tests because that's the only way our school system is going to get more money for the next 10 years. Um, rather than learning critical thinking, um, Frank Zappa loves to rant and rave about he thinks the biggest tragedy to happen to America was they stopped teaching civics in school and replaced it with social studies, which if you think about it, civics is teaching the people how they run the government, how the people can run the government. Yeah. And social studies is kind of more about here's how the government's going to run you. Hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's like people need to learn things. And, and I've learned so much. I mean, I got to thank the Lord. I'm just going to put a plug in here for, for Colonel Bruce Hampton mm-hmm. for, for opening me a, a sheltered private school kid from Richmond, Virginia, from a Southern heritage type family um, to being open to alternative paths of learning. Yeah. Um, some a, of them. <laughs> I met, I'll never forget. My mom gave me this book, the Cointelpro book. You know, right. <laughs> I'm sitting in the van. I'm 26 <clears throat> sitting in the 15 passenger van reading Cointelpro, which for those who don't know, uh, counterintelligence operation or whatever it was, you know, it was a program the FBI was running against uh, anti-war people, civil rights people, right? And so I'm starting reading some of the names and one of them was 
the editor of a newspaper called The Great Speckled Bird. His name was <laughs> Dave Dellinger. And Bruce is driving. He goes, oh, my God. So, Teal, you know Dave Dellinger. He'd come to Cotton Club to see us all the time. It's like Bruce's friends were having these ops run on them by the FBI. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm reading yeah. this book that my mom, you know, my Black Panther parents sent because the Panthers are also in there, right? They killed the leader of the Black Panthers. Jesus Christ. Right? People oh, are, you know, this all stuff came on the Freedom of Information Act, right? And then Bruce is like, oh, yeah, these people, you're hanging out with these guys at the Cotton Club. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing how close it really, really is. I mean, I, I, I never knew that, uh, what is it in the movie The 13th? Is it Ehrlichman that yeah. flat out says, mm. oh, yeah, we tied marijuana to the hippie problem. Right. And we tied heroin to the Black Panther problem. And uh, we knew that it was all bullshit, but we did it anyway. It's like, what is it about our system that allows our leaders to escape justice? But we have you know? to use our critical thinking then now and remember the year that Nixon was. And that became the war on drugs. And it was both sides. It was Reagan. It was Clinton. That's right. Bush Sr., Bush Jr., right? And who was in the Senate during the Clinton administration? Biden? Oh, the or was he a congressman? You know, I mean, the crime bill. It's, you know? it's, it's scary stuff, but I have to allow these people the opportunity to change. Because he's if it's a, one yeah. thing. I, yeah. He's I admitted. Get, he said he was wrong about that. And I'm not. I mean, look, it was a debate and it was whatever. But so, still, I, I'm with you. Dave, yeah, like, yeah, you gotta, I'm, I'm good for because we need, in truth and reconciliation, we got to have the truth. So, yes, thank you for admitting it's wrong. Now, let some of these motherfuckers out of jail. Hmm. I got my medical card here in Red State, Florida, and they will deliver it to my house. And why anybody could still be in jail for just drug possession or nonviolent drug crimes while that's going on is absolutely just... Yeah, Earth having a revolution over. Yeah, exactly. The only way a, a criminal was going to get out of jail in the last six months on a drug charge was if they mercifully released them because of COVID. Yeah, COVID. You know. Meanwhile, uh, how many times have each of you today, or in the last, I'll say, thirty-six hours, seen the meme that says, "The war on drugs is over. Drugs won." And who <laughs> yeah. was the big winner in the twenty twenty election? Drugs. drugs. Yeah. Yeah, man. Totally. Mushrooms in Oregon. For me, drugs will win when those people are out of prison. Yeah, totally. You're exactly. Okay with it. You're right. You know what I mean? Because it's mm. just, it's unforgivable. They knew it was bullshit all along. Everybody on both sides participated in it. Now it's legalizing everywhere. It's let these people out of prison, man. Destroyed yeah, let them out of prison because guess who's paying for their ride in prison? Anyone who pays taxes. Right. So Trump isn't. Yes, Trump's not. And <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of his supporters have to pay some kind of tax, yeah. whether they don't understand that it's being withheld and, you know, that maybe satisfies their tax bill for the year. Uh, they actually have to write a check for nothing, but uh, they're paying for it. They're paying for everything. Yeah. You know, when they call in the federal police to tear gas, you know, peaceful yeah. protesters, we're all paying for that. If we like pay taxes. Yeah. yeah. Who somebody had to buy those 
uh, unidentifiable uniforms. Yep. <laughs> That's what killed me yeah. about the Brianna Taylor thing. No justice for the cops. They paid them a huge sum of money. But where did that money come from? The taxpayers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. It's yeah. see, it's enough to drive a person mad or to drive them to the fucking polls. Yeah. And then exactly. to hold whoever wins accountable. But, but think yeah. about how much you have to learn. So you also have to have the ability to learn. You got to learn how to learn. That's why I'm paying so much money for my kid to go to school where he's going to school because he's learning how to learn. And then even though it's easier than ever to learn right now, you still have to know how to do that so that you can go to the polls armed with the right knowledge. I'm going to confess, I did it once on a podcast before. This was the first time that I finally just was like, okay, I was one in the morning and I sat up and I got my sample ballot had come in the mail. And I got the old iPad and just went on Google or DuckDuckGo <laughs> and um, started putting in these people's names and trying to research them. Thank God by doing a little work, I came up with this thing called Ballotpedia. And it shows like all the amendments too. And one of the coolest things was it showed who was mostly for the amendment, who was mostly against it, who paid for most of it. Yep. And I would always see... Um, it was um, League of Women Voters, I think, and the ACLU. Whenever they were consistently against something, it was always either going to hurt women or poor people. And I was like, okay, I think I see my way to, like, vet these amendments, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I finally found a way to, like, deal with every person, and I wrote it all down. I made a file. I texted it to my wife. And it's like, now, 56 is the first time I actually did that. And I could have been doing this for probably at least – you know, three election cycles. Absolutely. Know? I mean, I realized in Georgia a long time ago that I had to vote absentee because the band was usually on the road at election time, um, which meant that I had a little extra research time. And the first thing I learned is that those ballot initiatives, amendments, whatever your state calls them, are written in a way that basically if you could read it and try to translate it as an average human being, you'd vote yes for it, but you really ought not to, yeah. you know? So it's, it's been a while. And since I got married, my wife and I, we sort of, we sort of have a firing line thing and, and we have a bunch of different sources. We have some people who are super business people that send us their opinions. We have some super, you know, left wingy, um, almost like a, anarchy type people send us theirs and then KQD, kqed out here does what you described where they 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 go down and they tell you who supports them you know who's mm. who's sponsoring it who's supporting it and a, they boil it down pretty well and you know it's like people get hung up in this presidential thing and they forget all the little things that actually really impact their lives like uh you know your city council and these ballot initiatives, some of them are like, do I want to pay 250 extra dollars a year on my Sonoma County property tax bill? Um, by the way, uh, for a school district, I don't have kids. I believe in education, but it's a school district that's way out on the coast. You know, but Sonoma County's big. A lot of these counties are big. I mean, let's look at Fulton County. You know, it's it's huge. It's, it's It could have a very large effect on the, the state of Georgia's 
electoral votes. Um, so these, you have to do the research. Yeah. And my wife and I toss the ball back and forth. And, and uh, I, I put a picture up on my social media of me dropping the ballots in the ballot box. And it was on Monday. Not... And people are like, oh, what took you so long? It's like, God, people will complain about anything. <laughs> but what took me so long was researching, you know, 15 <laughs> ballot initiatives for the state and another several that were local, in addition to local assemblymen and people that are on the board of education. Um, you can't just leave that stuff blank because, mm. you know, Teal, you're talking about your kid being in school. Mm. Well, the people who are on your local board of education might have a little something to do with his education. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes time. It's like democracy is an active thing and it requires participation and physics proves it because, uh, you know, a vacuum is going to be filled and government loves a vacuum and you create a vacuum if you don't use your voice and vote. Yep. And a bunch of lobbyists will fill it right up. You know what <laughs> I learned too is that when you look at these, uh, these amendments and stuff or ballot initiatives or what they call, you find that there's more agreement across the aisle than you think. Like for instance, here in Florida, Florida's red, red, red. We got our medical marijuana. We voted to raise the minimum wage to 15. We voted to have felons be able to vote again after their time is done. Right. Now, I wouldn't have thought that all these red state people were gonna vote for that, but they had to because our little blue bubble wasn't gonna carry all that for the right. state, right? And I said, when we first started doing the podcast, I was like, well, we got medical marijuana. Surely we can agree on a few more things. Turns out minimum wage, felons, right to vote. I bet Medicare for all, I bet there's a lot. If we could get past the, you know. Yeah. Like all these, yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist, and I feel like people want to do the right thing, most of them. Of course, there's a small percentage of malevolent evildoers out there, but I think that people understand the concept of checks and balances. And I think that people want a little give and take, and they want to hear both sides of the argument. It's like what we were talking about earlier, visiting, you know, MSNBC and Breitbart you know, to try and divine some semblance of where the truth may be. I mean, a little friction leads to evolution, you know, and if we want to be truly progressive and evolve, then, then I, I think it requires people who could hold two thoughts in their head at the same time, two opposing yeah. thoughts. And I'd hate to see that ability disappear because that's when you get these just m malicious black and white, you know, very yeah. binary sides and uh people want there to be some give and take i want to see a little argument on the floor of the house about a bill that's going to affect 350 million people yeah i mean you look at other countries these guys are like flying over the chair i know they fight <laughs> yeah <laughs> Our guys, if they did that, they'd have a displaced hip. They're all 95 oh, years old. I know. And that's something that gives me hope, too. I mean, the squad got reelected. Mm. Um, where was it? Is it New Mexico that uh, sent almost all of their representatives are women of color? Yeah. Native Americans. And, this and year's pivotal. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Get yeah. some youth up in that. And, and you know what? I'm someone who maybe represents a decent amount of dum-dums that – 
never trusted politicians, was always anti-authoritarian. I grew up in the lot of fish shows and further festival. And I, I, I just knew, you know, luck, thanks to psychedelics and good friends. And, uh, I kind of knew what was right and I knew where to, you know, I voted, but I didn't believe in politics. I, they reminded me of that asshole teacher that was that authority. I'm under his thumb. And I was like, I don't care about this. They don't care about me. And like O'Teal said, learning how to learn. I think that it just starts to, you know, as you age, I think the only constant in life is change, right? I'm not the person I was when I was 18. Absolutely. But I also do know right and wrong. And I know what empathy and compassion and the power of saying I don't know. That's right. Being open is important. And that's something that, you know, now I pay way more attention and I've learned more just doing this podcast. But the thing that the pandemic gave me was that time to be alone with myself and really think about, you know, what can, what can I do? Like, what's the important stuff now? And it's clearly, you know, right in front of us right now. So that's right. It's, it's never been more in front of us before, than before. I mean, before the, the pandemic, uh, everyone was just uh, on such a hamster wheel on fire. Um, got to do this. Got to do that. This is my goals. Got to attain them. Boo, 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 boo. Run, 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 run. I mean, I was looking at my sky miles. They were just accruing like, you got to spend these sky miles, you know, and, and yeah. work, work, work. And I, all through it all for several years, I was like, you know, I'm just going to finish this next big project and I'm going to take some time, you know, and well, time came to me. I didn't finish the big project and that's okay. And, yeah. and you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, uh, you know, it was harsh at first and scary because it's a, it's like, is this the black death? Is this going to last, you know, generations or no, it's 2020. We have science. Um, but from my point of view, my life became so simple, which was like taking care of myself and my wife and our critters. And then when it felt like it was cool to go out and walk the dog in the park or on the beach, an everyday occurrence, man, the dog is so happy. You know, I grabbed the keys and he's got his backpack. I'm like, sorry, just taking the trash out, you know, um, and cooking. You can take it if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you learn to drive? Oh, you don't have an opposable digit. Sorry, can't drive. But uh, Lesser being. Yeah. Uh, or a greater being. Great. Yeah, yeah. Simplifying things, you know, and, and the other thing is we always stay in touch with our friends. You know, I mean, a text here, a phone call there, you know, uh, cross paths at a festival or whatever. And, and, uh, but I think that everyone, at least in, in my circle, um, has really embraced reaching out and really enjoys being reached out to, um, even if it's just a quick, Hey, how you doing? You know, yeah. it's like, and that huge, like giant ball of acquaintances and fair weather friends has, has really shriveled down to the people that are, are most important. And it's not like, a it's a two way street, you know, it's like more than one person's deciding who's important, but I feel really, really good. I mean, I'd love to go play some music. I really miss those friends that I only see at festivals. Um, and I'm sure I can text them, but nothing beats playing music. And as uh, my friend Dwayne trucks says, uh, the, one of the only things that keeps him going when he really misses the thrill of performance is imagining what it's going to be like mm -hmm. when the house lights go down for the first time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, whew, 
falling, as- falling asleep to that lucid image <laughs> quite a bit. It's, it's, you know, I, I talk a lot on the podcast, Dave, about, you know, I'd perform stand-up and there's nothing like that, but being a music fan and being among my tribe and the lights go down and you guys hit the stage and we all kind of just elevate up and a couple degrees forward and we're leaning in to this. It, it It's, uh, I miss that more than performing. I miss that live music is it fills everything. It, it's, it, it's it shoots be- out of all of our pores and yeah. I, I just, thanks it's for the good. years and years of it. Ah, couldn't do it without comedy. I mean, to <laughs> me, it's like, I can't imagine even just the three and a half minutes of a quickie routine. Um, everything that goes into pulling that material together, having the confidence to do it, dealing with hecklers in a good way, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 continuing to amass material i mean i got a guitar in front of my crotch i got security <laughs> goons i got security yeah. goons everywhere i mean what do you have a bar stool and a glass of water Pretty and a much. mic stand i mean that's it i mean you know teal we got these modulus graphite bases that are unbreakable man i gotta tell you the end of that thing in some stage crasher's hip big bruise Real painful. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the hip replacement if I do it right. <laughs> That's right. But fucking bring it on. Come on, bring it on. Let me, let's get back to work. But, you know, it's not going to happen without some adherence to science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. I totally. think it would be way more intense, though. I, I, I have visions of, like, it when, it when the music comes back and the comedy, too. Like, it's going to be more, like, Marley-esque. Like, it's going to be supercharged with all the stuff that's going on and that needs to change. And you know, there probably is going to be some more Lenny Bruceness in the yes. country. You know what I mean? George Carlin. Where well, it's, it's like, <laughs> well, you, and you know, I've gone to a couple, Dave, have you performed at, at all during like, since the pit, like, has there been any like drive-in things or any of these virtual type, you know? No, not for, not for me. I did a zoom thing as a memorial for our ex-drummer who passed away. I wanted to say, yeah, I wanted to wait till the time was right, but thank you. Um, Thoughts, yeah. That's as close to performing as I've gotten. I've done some studio work, you know, in, in, uh, in, in studios with good protocol. Um, Mm. and, and that's it. That's just because I'm trying to finish up this project that we started, um, back in, in February that's going on. But, uh, you know, panic, we just, we understand that people want to see us. I mean, I, I feel it. We just spent five minutes talking about it from both sides of the barricade. Yeah. Um, but until we can guarantee that it, it's not going to hurt people, you know, that, that people aren't going to catch something and take it home to someone that they care about. Um, I just don't see the point. I mean, we have a huge archive of live performances that we can put out there. And, yep. Yep. you know, like I said, uh, mm-hmm. It's easy to work in the studio. I've heard some fantastic Frankenstein's tracks. I just, uh, for this Neil Casal tribute record, I just ushered the uh, Terrapin family band, which is Phil Lesh's band, yeah. um, was recorded in one, two, three, four, five different locales. Wow. Um, starting with the vocal and, the, and the, the acoustic guitar to a click track. And then it was passed around and everybody added their parts. And man, it's a great track. You know, people, musicians can always find the feel and they can always lock up with each other because, I mean, I think that's the advantage that 
comedians and musicians and maybe dancers and other visual artists to a certain degree have, but there is an interlocking thing that happens with a comedian in the audience. You know, when, when you're in the zone and you're having a great night, it's because they're with you or they're so against you that you're utterly inspired. You know, one of those two things can happen. <laughs> it's true. And, and with a band, you know, first of all, we lock together in a groove and a vibe. And then if, you know, if it's a jam band kind of situation, then you get the audience involved. And that is a hell of a lot of, uh, as Mickey Hart would say, entrainment. Yeah. And entrainment is a good thing. Yes. Um, and we all start to, to move around. And then if we can create some entropy, the room gets hot. And then we all know everything's better when it's hot. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> totally. That's a great way to put it. And sometimes you don't know whether or not that crowd's going to be with you or not. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you got to roll with it. You know? Walked off stage so many times at set break going, band zero, crowd one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, someone's got to deliver that halftime speech. You know? <laughs> All right, you lame duck motherfuckers, get out there and show them what it's for. It's like Hoosiers or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Against all point. odds. <laughs> Got to have Bill Walton come. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now that's a good one. Oh, he's yeah. What a what a good human being. What a great guy. Only problem with Bill Walton is being stuck behind him at a Grateful Dead show, and uh, I've been there. So uh, yeah. it's not even like you can tap him on the shoulder to ask him to move. You can tap him in the small of his back, and that's probably sexual harassment. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Could you step aside, please? <laughs> Oteal, remember that Nassau Dead show that I came to? Me and Dean, we came to watch. And we were down there, and, and Bill was in the section ahead of us, and I could still – he was still in my little lower yeah. left. But I watched people behind him get excited it was him, and then two seconds later be so pissed it was him. You know what I mean? Because they're like, <laughs> Bill Walton, fuck Bill Walton. <laughs> it's not just like the biggest guy in the room has to come sit in front of me. It's it's one of my sports heroes. <laughs> <laughs> the first inductee into the Deadhead Hall of Fame. You can't get I mad know. at him. You know? No, come on. It just. No. But do you have to wear that jester hat with the things that are like an extra two feet off the top of your head? Yeah, and try to block <laughs> shots. He dances like he's blocking shots. He's always he's he's playing volleyball with God up there. You know. So, O'Teal, as a, as a person who is uh, privy to seeing this scene, probably, you know, Almond Brothers fans aren't known for dancing. They pretty much stand and sit and watch. Yeah. But, but the dead fans. Yeah, have, no, nothing. Have you come up with a, uh, your own personal catalog of ways to describe the dance steps like Mike just described Bill Walton doing? <laughs> no, but I enjoy trying to do them you know, <laughs> be a dancer and so that's i love yeah and it's such a source of joy because sometimes i just open my eyes and i'm like if you're not like wherever you are it's like if you can get 120th of how good that guy's feeling it's just that's right yeah it's like an injection just bam and <laughs> grinning and i'm just like yeah and i'm usually there anyway but if i'm not I could just look around. It's beautiful. I had a whole, I had a whole uh, dance card of, uh, you know, there's the guy that sort of tiptoeing in his feet in place. So he's dancing on hot pizza. He's a pizza dancer. <laughs> pizza. <laughs> and then you got this guy who is inevitably either halfway naked or all the way naked. Uh, 
doing this. That's the uh, backstroke to the stars. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a million of them. And, yeah. it, and then there's the, uh, make it stop, make it yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't even know what we're doing, but. Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, they all know. <laughs> You're at a dead show. <laughs> I used to go see Grateful Dead shows at the Hampton Coliseum because oh. it's where a lot of the rock shows came. And I never understood why they were. I knew that Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, that whole area is chock full of naval and military bases. And so there's a lot of, you'd see a lot of crew cuts at a Grateful Dead show yeah. in like 1981, 82. And inevitably, those would be the guys you'd see like a circle open up on the dance floor. And if you looked real carefully, there's a half naked guy doing the unhappy fish on the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, why are these guys, why, you know, why aren't they just getting drunk, you know, or why aren't they buying the giant paper beer cups out in the lobby? And then someone said, well, the military doesn't test for psychedelics. Right. Yep. So these poor guys come out of that type of milieu of the military. <laughs> to see a band play Sugar Magnolia because they heard it on the radio and uh, someone puddles them in the lot. <laughs> Man, all that shit comes to the surface fast. Yeah, now it's but Full I Metal never... Jacket. <laughs> I know! <laughs> God. Ooh. Yeah. I think I might want to watch that movie soon. <laughs> the first time I saw that movie, I was on way too much mushrooms and it was Halloween oh. night. Oh, yeah. And I, I walked into my friends. It was, you know, like when you're a kid and you're 18, 19 and you got your pack of tight friends and down the streets, another super close pack of tight friends. And we're all on our own tripping and you leave one out one scene you're like in our house we're blasting beastie boys and smoking bongs and have it playing flip cup or whatever dumb shit and and then you go to the next people's place and the whole vibe is different you know it's just you go into a different party and it's like oh shit like i wish i was back at the beastie boys they were sitting there watching full metal jacket tripping and i walked in and it was <laughs> It was the it was this, the bathroom scene, you know, and I kind of like walk in and I'm like, I got to get the fuck it ruined my entire like everything from oh, that yeah. point on was just completely downhill. But that was the first time I saw that movie. And I was like, I got to watch that again, but not, you know, but not like that because it is not a brilliant tripping movie. my balls off on mushrooms. Yeah. But the lesson you're supposed to learn from that is that you can always change your environment. Yes, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's like we'd start tripping at college, you know, about eight o'clock Friday night and I don't know if my dad did this to be cruel to me because I know he was like a big college partier in the 50s um, when fraternities weren't necessarily evil. Maybe they were. I don't know. But, you know, with the pennant and the big fur coat, you've seen those old pictures. For sure. Soda and, uh, fountains and stuff. So the little the black plastic phone with the rotary dial that was inevitably on the phone in your 10 by 10 cinder block dorm room with the Led Zeppelin tapestry hanging across the window. <laughs> Swan song. As soon as I started tripping with my buddies and we were planning to go traipse around Athens, Georgia, which really is a wonderland, wow. <laughs> um, that phone would ring and it would be my dad. Hey, son, <laughs> just calling to see how school's going. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, the phone is turning into a boa constrictor in my hand. My father's <laughs> voice, you know, it, it's coming through in these like waves of jello that has somehow has like a, a bit of authority still inherent in it. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Dad, I got to go to a study meeting. It's Friday. Don't you get it? You know? <laughs> like, oh my God. 
But as soon as I could hang that phone up, we're like, let's get the hell out of the storm room. Let's go to the graveyard. Or the best thing is there's a cleaning crew in Sanford Stadium cleaning it for the ball game the next day, the football game. And it's lit up like a Christmas tree and no one cares. And we're in this stadium that holds 90,000 people. And there's just a bunch of who could care less cleanup crew guys preparing it. Like this is the weirdest thing ever. We're in a giant spaceship. <laughs> Fun times Those on acid. Those were the days. <laughs> I tell you, you, you got to bring them back. Indeed, man. <laughs> Psychedelic <laughs> revolution's happening. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. We were having a group text earlier. <laughs> Eric, our video tech guy, is from uh, Michigan. He's like. Looks like we might flip the state. I texted back, see what happens when you let people do mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Would it take a month? They're like, we were wrong this whole time. (laughs) I think you should require a license in order to vote. And in order to get that license, you have to microdose for two months straight. And take a civics class. <laughs> and take a civics class. Not a class. social studies class. No social studies. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and come back and report on one of two Zappa albums. That's right. A hey, remember report. who Zappa's big enemy was back then? The PRMC? Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore. Oh, now, yeah, yeah. But look, have you not met Tipper through the dead? Uh-uh. She's I played... Uh, Look, I got to, in all, here's, here's how people can change, okay? <laughs> I met Tipper through Mickey when I was playing with Mickey's band. Yeah. Mickey would let Tipper come up on stage and play drums for Fire on the Mountain, you know, like a hand drum or something yeah. like that. And I actually got kind of honest with her one time because Zappa is one of my biggest heroes. I yeah. think he's, Me there too. is a sense of artistry coupled with logic um, that's missing. And a lot of people thought he was smug and arrogant and all of that stuff. And maybe he was, but he knew what he was talking about. He was sober too. Critical thinking at its finest. At its finest, a very sober and understood systems. Yeah. You know, he understood dynamics and how it went. You could talk to him about music composition and it was inherent in that balance systems workflow, but talking to Tipper, she's really, really sweet. And I'm like, did you really believe that whole labeling thing? You know, did you really believe that it was actually what teenager in the world is going to resist buying a record that says it might contain ideas in it that are obscene? And she's like, of course not. I'm like, well, what happened? I'm like, did you get kind of bullied into being the face of that thing because you were Al's uh, wife? And she pretty much said, yeah, you know, it's like you're talking about something with your friends in Washington, D.C. one day. And then the next thing you know is you're swept up in a whitewater rapid and, you know, you're a cause and there's a cause attached to you. And the next thing you're on the national news representing that cause. Yeah. I'm like, well, you get what you pay for, or at least yeah, you get what you pay for when you marry the vice president. But, you know, Zappa was right. And and I wish I had a, one of his records at hand here because uh, maybe I can look it up on the phone. Do you remember what his response to that was? That if you bought a Frank Zappa record? <laughs> I don't remember. I'm going to read it to you. It's great. 
Hey, of course, kids. Are, that's the that's the only record they're gonna want. It's the one with the label on it. Of course. Exactly. And and that's the thing. Okay. Uh, let's see. I got it. Pardon me while I read off my phone, folks. But warning slash guarantee. <laughs> this album contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. In some socially retarded areas, religious fanatics and ultra-conservative political organizations violate your First Amendment rights by attempting to censor rock and roll albums. We feel that this is unconstitutional and un-American. As an alternative to these government-supported programs designed to keep you docile and ignorant, Barking Pumpkin, Frank Zappa's record label, is pleased to provide stimulating digital audio entertainment for those of you who have outgrown the ordinary. The language and concepts contained herein are guaranteed not to cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. <laughs> yes. This guarantee is as real as the threats of their video fundamentalists who use attacks on rock music in their attempt to transform America into a nation of check-mailing nincompoops in the name of Jesus Christ. If there is a hell, its fires wait for them, not us. And that was on many Frank Zappa records in the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> God damn it, he's the best. Warning slash guarantee. Thank you, Frank. Check this out. I want to show you guys what uh, a friend of mine just sent me. He saw this in New York. Can you see this? Are you registered? Repu I did see. I've seen that. Are you on LSD? <laughs> are, are you a registered Republican? I will mail you LSD. Yes. <laughs> well, some about your friend that dosed himself Republican, though. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine just. Yeah, he's. That's a the continuing saga. We'll see what happens. Um, for dosing. My my theory is that. Here's where this guy needs macro. <laughs> macro. Macro, exactly. Heroic. <laughs> I loved about Zappa that, 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 like, I feel like Dylan had a line uh, in A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall where he's like, I'll, I'll know my st song well before I start singing. And that always reminded me of Zappa, where it's like Zappa knew exactly what Zappa wanted to do when Zappa set out to do it. And I always appreciated that from a comedy standpoint because you kind of go into a thing going, well, A plus B equals funny. And it's kind of a cheap, easy cop out. But how do you take that formula and talk about what you really believe and what you really feel? And that coupled with trying to make it different every night so you don't get bored with your jokes. I feel like I had a lot of good influence through the music I loved with comedy, you know? Um, Absolutely. You have to, I mean, you can wing it to a certain degree, but there always needs to be a framework and sort of a, a network of safety nets. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you can't, what is that Marine slogan? Uh, um, adapt, improvise, and overcome. Is that it? I'm sure oh, if there right. are any. Yeah, aim. Yeah. Um, adapt, improvise, yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. Master. Aim. Master. Yeah. Something like that. But that seems to apply to anything where there's a good bit of improvisation involved. But, uh, you know, what is it Bruce Hampton said, O'Teal? Uh, utter freedom is the biggest prison of them all. <laughs> you know, we need a framework within which to work. Mm -hmm. um, and as a comedian, I'm, I'm sure that you love Bill Hicks. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you I, mean, gotta it's just, gotta. It's, you, I mean, it's yeah, that's kind of like you got to love the stones. That's right. <laughs> like, you you have to pay attention to. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you may not love every song, but it's something that's set up what we 
he's one of the one of the you know founders kind of you know that's right yeah and it's um you know and if you watch enough of his live stuff uh there's a framework for him to riff and -hmm. improvise but his timing is so flawless and it's like zappa had that kind of timing in a musical way where little jokes and little things could be inserted but like the big fish always gets wheeled in you can count (laughs) on it and then the whole conceptual continuity thing where you know certain things like the poodle show up throughout his entire movie. yes yes um, a lot of callbacks a lot of callbacks and having talk about having a band trained Woo. yeah you know my God. doing this means you're gonna play what you're playing but in a reggae style i'm right so now. <laughs> excited for this documentary to come out me the too Zappa doc is gonna be the phenomenal. alex winter documentary yeah yeah i got to oh. talk to moon and Thorsten Schuta, who uh, directed, I guess a lot of people went to Gale and asked, can we do a documentary about Frank? And every, uh, the answer was always no. But Thorsten, a German producer, um, and everybody knows how big Zappa is in Europe, they basically, what he did, the, the model he took was it was just Frank in his own words. So there was no narrative, no one else talking. It was just clips of him. Is that the Eat That Question movie? Yes. Phenomenal. For- Phenomenal, but not what we're hoping for. Not what we're hoping for, no. I want (laughs) those tapes that have been in a box in the back and, you know, the old Roxy and Elsewhere clips and, you know, 200 Motels outtakes and stuff like that. I'm a deep freak for – I love Zappa so, so much. Me uh, too. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, and and I'll tell you, I got into him even deeper and more during pandemic times too. There, it's always within reach. Yes, <laughs> in <absolutely>. this household, <laughs> I'll have to do that because it's all on here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we have to have you back again soon. Um, I hope you had a good time with us. I mean, we definitely should. You talked about furry friends. I need to go get my my pup. I have a brand new pup named Charlie. Oh, it's nice! Four month old, beautiful dog. And uh, this has been. I mean. If would you come back? Would you do another one with us? If you would deign to have me back, I would be a pleasure. It's great to meet you, Mike. Thanks, man. O'Teal, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> we gotta have like a whole episode on Bruce Hampton. I'm sure, Mike. I'm sure you've gotten quite an, an education on. I want on Zambi. more. I want more, and I. It, yeah. That'll be what we have you back for. Great. A, a special Bruce Hampton episode of Comes a Time. Perfect. Comes a I'd time love to it. talk about Bruce. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'll come back anytime. It's been a real pleasure. Stay safe, man. And, and thank you so much. Hopefully we'll see each other real soon in the real, the real life, as they say. Yes. I think (laughs) the first good thing that's about to happen in 2020 is about to happen. That's right. I'm visioning it. (laughs) Love you, man. Thank you you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.